We're kicking off on the Redeemer has come. We covered the servant has come last week. The Redeemer has come. And then Christmas we're doing the servant has come. So Sarah and I, a number of years ago, uh, we were privileged, blessed enough to go on a holiday to the east. We did Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand. Most people said to us, oh, you guys are going on a mission trip. And we said, no, we're going on a holiday, which met with many shocked faces because people are, why would you go to Vietnam and Cambodia? But we just, it was on our heart to go and we wanted to explore. We spent uh, close to a month exploring that area. And on one particular day, we visited, this is the Imperial Citadel, it's the entrance, which is in the town of Hue, uh, and that used to be the Imperial City, and this was the, the capital for that area until such time as there was a, a bunch of infighting and a lot of politics in the process. But it was the Imperial capital of Vietnam. So this is where you drive in and you enter, and then as you go through those main gates, it's covered by a moat, which I think is pretty easy to get past, but maybe Vietnamese guys struggle to swim. But uh, it's, it's very, very simple. Anyone could break in there. But uh, it's a moat that goes around this entire city. And uh, this, then they have another entranceway. And then within it, they have this, it, it was the entire central hub for the area. So they have a school there. They had a temple. And as you go, so just there on either side, there is these monster koi ponds. Koi carp, beautiful looking fish. And this doesn't really do it justice, but hundreds and hundreds of these massive brightly colored koi, you can buy pellets and you can feed them and whichever else, but touristy. But you then carry on walking through. This is this huge koi pond. And then from there, I'll just show you a few interesting ones. You get into... Um, Beautiful architecture that you see there. That was, I think, a picture of a monk in training. Uh, I was always trying to catch pictures of them, and you can never touch the monks. They try to run away from you. So it was like my goal to just like touch every time. And I got quite frustrated, but it was well, our goal on the trip was how many monks can you touch? I don't know if I should admit that in church, but it was just quite interesting to try. So they had all these uh, gold, uh, gold-plated statues that you could look around, and there they had, which was sort of the military hub, or the, when, when they were getting bombed, or things like that were coming, and people would go and hide out under there. And then I come back to the koi pond, because you might be wondering, what is the importance of it? Well, what happened was, we did these amazing explorations, and we, we, we looked at the koi first, and we fed them. It was great fun, and it was such a highlight. And then we went on, and we explored, and then it gets to um, this building, Okay, so you walk through here, you get into another building, and they do this video demonstration where you look through the history of it, what it looked like when it was built, what happened in the process, and so you get really stuck into the demonstration. But about five to seven minutes into this 15-minute de- demonstration, I suddenly thought, hmm, I wonder where my wallet is. I don't know why I necessarily thought that, but that, that just went through my mind. So I suddenly, you know, I, maybe you've had this situation where you suddenly feel your front pockets, you're like, it's not there. Feel the back pockets, it's not there. And then you, then you start to get into a real panic. Well, I do, because I lose it often. So we then had like the carry bag, and I thought, well, it's okay, it's definitely gonna be in the carry bag. I dig through there, and now there's nothing. Now Sarah's sitting next to me, and I'm trying not to panic. Everything's fine, but inside my heart is pumping. It's like, oh my goodness, because inside the wallet is all of the US that we have for the whole trip, plus the bank card. So I was honestly sitting there going, oh my goodness, if this is not here, we are done. Not many people speak English in Vietnam, so I'm trying to think through already in my mind. It's not here, and before I tell Sarah that it's not there, before she gets into a panic, I'm going, okay, let me think this through. We can maybe borrow some money. We can phone either the folks in Zim, or we can phone other friends. We can try and do a Western Union money transfer, but what are we going to do for the two? I mean, I was in a flat-out panic. So... I turned to Sarah, and she eventually sees this, obviously notices it, and she just says, uh, what's the problem? I was like, I don't know where the wallet is. And I thought she would lose it more. She was like, well, you better go look for it, and I'll just keep watching. So, I mean, <laughs> as you do, 
So she, she maybe had more faith than me. So she kept watching, and now I'm trying to retrace my steps. I'm going back, and, and this space is like, K's. I mean, it's huge. The, the thing that, so I'm now heading back to where the university is, and then I'm heading to where the temple is, and then the museum, and I'm just in this flat-out race. I get back to past the koi ponds, and I get to the entrance, and I, get, I think, well, maybe it's been handed in. I don't know where it is, but maybe it's been handed in. So I chat to the people, and just listen, guys, there's this wallet, this is what it looks like, Zimbabwe driver's license. I tried not to pretend that there was lots of money in, you know, or to say. So I was like, driver's license? And they're like, no, we haven't seen anything. So I then, as I'm walking back, past the beautiful koi ponds, sort of about 100 meters away, I noticed like four people clumped around, sort of just huddled together. And I was in a panic, but obviously the Holy Spirit just pointed me towards these four people, and I was like, I just need to head across there. So head across through the grass of the trees, and it turns out that it's actually four tour guides who someone has picked up the wallet, and then I'll try to work out who is this foreigner. And luckily, there was no money stolen, and I was just like, you guys are the best. And I was almost in tears of joy, and my heart was still racing, and uh, gave these guys all hugs, and I was like, this is the best day. And I can obviously walk back to Sierra going, it's okay, love, everything's fine, I've got my wallet, nothing to panic, I knew exactly where it was. The, the crazy part is, is I had left it, so on the edge of this koi pond is a thin little wall, you can see it at the bottom, I had left my wallet sitting right on the edge of the huge coin pond wall, and off I'd walked, and that's where they found it, Um, which I did admit to Sarah, but a few days later, and that is where I found my famous wallet, and we had a great rest of the trip, but the reason why I share that is because in many ways, those tour guides, or the first tour guide, was my redeemer. He was my source of redemption of the holiday, of the day, of that whole process. Because the definition of redemption means being saved from something or regaining possession of something. And those tour guides saved us from a very difficult situation. Because I was honestly in a panic going, how are we going to get ourselves, let alone where are we going to stay tonight, with knowing no one in the whole place? How are we going to get ourselves out of this situation? And they brought a solution that we desperately needed. There's a story uh, in a book called Ruth in the Bible, which if you have your Bibles, you can turn to, which also speaks of people who desperately needed a redeemer. A lot more serious situation than the one that I just shared now, but nevertheless, they needed a redeemer. So if you do have your Bibles, I'm going to put up little snippets because we're going to go on a fairly quick trip through it, but it's a few books into the Old Testament. If you get to Joshua, Judges, it's slotted right between there and 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. And uh, I'm gonna read a few bits of it and then I'll pop up some bits on it. But uh, if you don't have your Bible, don't worry, you can uh, listen or you can look with the person next to you and I'm gonna read a few bits. So this is what happens in the story. So I'm starting at uh, right chapter one, verse one. During the the time of Judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem, in in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. So it was difficult in the land. Famine was there. Let's go to greener pastures, as it were, to see if we can survive there for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They entered the fields of Moab, and they settled there. So they made their areas. They said, while the famine's there, we're going to settle in this foreign land. Now, during that time, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and he was left with, uh, and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about 10 years, both Malon and Chilion 
also died. Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. So Naomi plus her daughters-in-law are now left in a ridiculously difficult situation in desperate need of a redeemer, someone to buy them out of, someone to take them out of this difficult situation. In that day and age, but pretty much today as well, the men would have been the breadwinners, but at the same time, they were responsible for holding property rights for the family, holding succession rights. And so if you were left without a husband or if you were left without heirs, you were in a very difficult situation. You had extended family to rely on, but your chances of progressing in life without remarrying again were very difficult. So Naomi now shares this with Ruth and Orpah and says, listen, you're actually Moabites. Yes, you did. Um, you're now my daughters-in-law, but it would be far better for you if you stayed in this land, you headed back to your extended families, and you found husbands there, new husbands so that your family line could continue, you could be provided for. And so she shares this with them. She has this debate with the two da- um, daughters-in-law, and Orpah eventually, obviously she still really loved Naomi, eventually she was like, okay, that's fine, I'll head back. But Ruth, it says, clings on to her mother-in-law, and this is what she says. She says, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Remember, two different faith sets coming here from Moab and coming out of Judah. Uh, Where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. So Ruth has had, obviously she loves Naomi deeply, but she's also had a change of faith. So she's transferred her faith. She's believing in uh, the God of Judah, as it were, the God that, um, that we know and follow. And she's also just going, no matter what, I'm sticking to you, and I'm going to help you, Naomi, no matter what the cost. And so what happens is Orpah, Orpah heads back to her extended family, and Naomi and Ruth head back towards Bethlehem to find some extended family in the hopes of survival, in the hopes of continuing life. And so they go on this journey. They obviously arrived there, and at the time that, oh, we'll come to that next one. So they arrive there. They obviously now doesn't really share, but they're obviously staying with family. It's clear that Naomi has some elements of property there, but she needs to sell those for them actually to survive. And so there isn't really much hope for them, and it's the barley harvest. So what happens at that time, if you were in an area where the people who owned the fields for harvest were kind, what they would do is they'd have their harvesters who would travel and collect all the barley heads and everything else, and then they would let beggars or people in terribly difficult situations follow on behind the harvesters and sort of collect any scraps they could find. That's if there was any kind people. And so what happens is, is without any hope or any option, Ruth heads out to do this. She says, Naomi, I'm going to do this. She finds herself in a field, and she just starts following behind the main servants harvesting and collects as much grain as she can collect and find for them to be able to have some food to eat. So she collects those ones. Now, miraculously, as things happen with God, as they do, she finds herself in the field of one of Naomi's relatives. She finds herself in this field, which obviously is God just working miraculously in the process, a relative of Elimelech, an upright man of standing, and his name is Boaz. So she does this for a while. Boaz returns to the field to check out everything's going, and he notices uh, this lady. So he obviously noticed that she was beautiful, attractive, but more than that, it seems to say that he noticed uh, her heart and the fact that she was working so hard. She had been there on her feet the whole day trying to collect food for 
Naomi and for her to survive. And so he notices and he asks the servants about her and they explain the story. But what he also works out in the process is, ah, I've heard about this lady. When they shared who Ruth was and they shared about her and the extended story that they'd picked up, they then worked out who she was. And this is what Boaz says in the process. They get chatting, they get talking, and uh, this is what he answers to her. After, why have you found favor in my sight? Boaz answered her, everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. So, since your husband's death has been fully reported to me, how you left your father and mother and your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. I want to stop here briefly just with a comment. God will always honor you when you place him first. Many, many years or months before, Ruth had made a decision that she was going to stick by Naomi. She was going to help. She was going to support. She was going to care for this lady no matter what the cost. She says, where you die, I'm going to die. Whatever happens, I'm going to follow and I'm going to help and I'm going to support. I want you to know uh, here at Harvest today that when you honor God, no matter how small, no matter how big, when you place him first, he will always honor that step you make for him. He always will. Ruth left her family. She left safety. She took care of Naomi. God noticed, and others did too, and she was rewarded. When you serve, God sees. When you sacrifice, God sees. And as the verse says, I want to just jump to it, 1 Peter 5 verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt or he may lift you up. God will reward you for what you've done in secret, when no one else is around, when no one knows your heart, when you aren't looking for the spotlight. It's an amazing encouragement and an amazing promise from the Lord. So uh, I'll stick that up for a short, but I'll jump to the next one. Naomi now finds out about what Boaz has done. So he speaks to Ruth and he says, hey, tell you what, do you know what? Uh, you must, you've been working hard, have water when my servants have water, have food when my servants have food. And on top of that, he's quite a sly guy. And what he does is he goes and speaks to his manager and he says, listen, can you just tell the servants to just leave a few extra grains? <laughs> so, so just leave a few while you're going and servicing so that she can collect loads of stuff. So she now collects loads that day, heads back to Naomi. And Naomi's obviously shocked. She's like, you should be coming with a little piddle of grains. You've got more than you can carry. And she picks up straight away. She's like, there's someone looking out for you. So Naomi says to, his, to her daughter-in-law, may the Lord bless him, talking about Boaz, because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. When she shares who Boaz is, Naomi says, the man is a close relative. He is the one, he is one of our family redeemers. So this word redeemer comes in. It's one of the, the reasons why the book of Ruth is so important for us to look at. But what exactly is a redeemer and what is a family redeemer? Some cultures may know what that is today, but others won't. Well, the book of Ruth combines two legal institutions into one practice, namely property redemption by relative and leveret, if I'm saying it right, marriage. So those two, is that right? Say it right. Yes. Boom. So it combines those two um, together in one practice. They don't have to be the case, but that's what happens in this one. So property redemption by relative means that the re relative, the male steps in, he buys the land that was the dead 
relative or the dead man's land. And effectively what happens is, is the family line continues. So he buys it so that he stands in the gap of that one who's died so that the, the wife or the kids actually take on that property right. So it's, it's amazing responsibility I did. And on top of that, elaborate marriage comes from the Latin actually, Livia, husband's brother, um, it, which involves a childless widow. So it involves Ruth, childless widow, who then he marries, so for the same reason, the family line can continue, which is incredibly important in that day and age. So in this case, he, he decides in the long run we'll see to marry Ruth, um, and he marries the husband's brother, providing an heir for the dead husband so that the family name and property would be secure for generations to come. So there were these family redeemers, and it was a big responsibility because you would usually have your own family, at the time, you may not, but you usually have the, the family. Now, there would be a financial cost because you would purchase the property, and that property would go on to the family members or whatever else. But at the same time, there would have been a very big emotional and time cost, either taking on the wife as well, but also the family and the responsibility that came with that. So it was a big thing that they took on. It showed immense kindness as it was an immensely selfless act that the kinsman redeemer would do. So, uh, so this is what uh, she shares, and then this is what Boaz uh, does at the end. So he now, um, Naomi, I won't jump the gun, Naomi says to Ruth, listen, she picks up that actually there's a bit of an attraction. She says, listen, you need to do this, perform a little bit of a custom, you uncover the person's feet, and she says, go light the base of Boaz, basically show that you are keen for this to happen. So Ruth goes, she's keen, and Boaz is like, actually, so am I, and uh, I'm willing to step into this process. And they end up being married. Uh, there was actually a closer relative, a closer kinsman redeemer, who said no, he wouldn't exercise his right because he probably had a family already and because of the cost. So he stepped out, which allowed Boaz to step in. And this was the end result of the process. Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, slept with her, the Lord granted um, conception to her, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and will sustain you in your old age. Because now this gives Naomi an immense safety, both in property, both in monetary value and in family. So she now has nothing to worry about in her old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became his nanny, uh, so grand becoming nanny. The neighbor, um, the neighbor woman said, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse and the father of David. So you just see this amazing process where God steps in and brings a whole uh, level through Boaz of redemption. And so Ruth's life is completely changed. She goes from being a widow without children, without hope, to being married to a man of wealth, upright man of standing who really cared and loved her, and so her life is secure. There's an heir that's born, which in the long line goes to David and on to Jesus as well, so a very special place in the story, and Naomi, who at this time is probably advanced in age as well as protected and looked after because Boaz decided to step in. Such a powerful story of, um, of a man who really cared. Do you remember the name of the town that they left when they headed out to Moab and then returned? It was Bethlehem. And many years later, this town would again become the place of redemption. But not just for one person or a few people, not just Ruth and Naomi, and not just in an earthly sense of covering and protection, but for all people. 
because God would choose this small, insignificant town that Limelech and his family came out of to be the birthplace of his son, Jesus. It's astounding how God weaves this into the story. The redeemer of the world. Boaz was the king's redeemer to that family. But Jesus chose that place to be the redeemer and the source of redemption for all. The ultimate redeemer. And just as Ruth found herself in a foreign land in need of kinsman redeemer, each of us find ourselves in a desperate place. A place where we're in bondage to sin and to Satan, the God of this world, in desperate need of someone to redeem us out of that place. Romans shares this well. So then as through one trespass, talking about Adam and Eve, there's condemnation for everyone. That's us. Each of us, we're born into it. We don't teach our kids how to sin and disobey God. They just do it naturally. We're inbuilt in sin from the beginning of the world. Just as with one man, so also through one righteous act, Jesus, there's justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience, that many were made sinners, us included in the process, so also through that one man's obedience, Jesus, heading to Bethlehem, being born as a baby, many would be made righteous. Amazing. Just if you think that you aren't in need of a redeemer, that kicks in as well. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We really have been in a place far worse than Ruth or Naomi could be in in a spiritual sense. They were in the same boat as us, but for Jesus Christ, but for his redemptive power, we are in bondage to sin and Satan with no hope in this lifetime and the life to come. But just as Boaz noticed Ruth and acted in kindness, he stood there and uh, he noticed her working hard in the land and he acted with kindness. That's the way that Christ sees us and he demonstrates his love towards us by noticing a people in desperate need and stepping into our world where he could have said, it's okay, I've done my bit, I've given them a shot, but actually stepped into our brokenness. He acted as Boaz did. And Ruth also recognized and pursued Boaz. So first she noticed his kindness, but then do you see that she then made a move and she stepped into his life and made herself available just as she did that put her hope for the future in his hands. We need to recognize that we need Jesus as our hope and future, and there's a role that we play. There's something active we do when we respond to what he has done and wants to do in our lives. And just as Boaz makes a decision to redeem Ruth, he made an active decision saying, she needs help, I'm gonna step in and bring redemption. There's a price attached. And God made the decision to redeem us and the price was his own life. But for Boaz, it was cost. For Boaz, there was monetary cost. There would have been family cost to step in, help with Naomi and Ruth. With Jesus, it was his life. Two great passages that you may know. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not perish. Doesn't say will not, well, uh, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. Uh, Jesus gives us the opportunity to have eternal life, gives everyone the opportunity. We choose whether we take it or not. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that, through the, um, that the world might be saved through him. 1 John 4 verse 10, in his love, not that, this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins so that we could be redeemed. So Boaz 
makes a decision to redeem, Jesus does it with his own life. And through the redemptive process, Ruth and Naomi find hope and joy, but they also experience prosperity. They experience blessing. They experience so much more than just um, an internal salvation. Through Christ, we receive new life, but also the kingdom benefits that come with it. This talks about um, Satan and Satan's control of the world. We know that we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Colossians says it as well. He has rescued us when we're redeemed from the domain of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What uh, the writer's getting at there is that Jesus redeems us and pulls us out of something spiritually, out of the power of sin and Satan, but at the same time, he's also about a redemptive work in the world in which we live. So we're not gonna see it fully in this lifetime because it is still in many sense covered under sin and Satan, but we see pockets of it breaking out. We see pockets breaking out here and there in the area of our lives and in others as we wait for the day when there's a completely new earth and a complete source of redemption. So our lives at Christ follows should be one where we experience in all its fullness Jesus' redemption. So completely when we give our lives to Christ, once and for all we are saved, we are redeemed spiritually, heaven is home, nothing's gonna change that. But also in the process of our lifetime, we should experience pockets of his redemptive power, not to the same level as heaven, it's never gonna be completely, but in certain areas of our life. And so we should be asking God and saying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. We know it's never gonna be perfect here, but we wanna see it happen in a small way as an example of your kingdom. In heaven, is there sickness? No. So we pray with expectation for God to heal here, knowing ultimately all of us are gonna die. We're all gonna walk through into the next life, but we still pray for it because we wanna see his kingdom come. We wanna see glimpses of it here on earth. Is there lack of monetary resources in heaven? No. So we ask him for it and we say, Lord Jesus, even in Zim, in this climate, we ask that you'd bring supernatural work of your kingdom in resources, in monetary resources. And I think we're seeing it amongst us here in the craziest of ways. So uh, Brett, who's recently uh, given his life to the Lord and has been faithful with the job that he's got, they just a few days ago, a few weeks ago, said, actually, you're gonna be ending in December, but we need you for another six months. We say, praise God, because that's God's provision coming out of nowhere. We speak to Shirley, who for months is going, I am desperately in need of someone renting this flat of mine. And, uh, and, and she's been looking everywhere, and we've been putting it out on the church one, and just going, oh my goodness, God, are you even listening? Are you even listening to my cry? Are you even here? And suddenly someone who actually will pay the rental amount of money, but in hard currency, real money, it's all real money, we know, one-to-one, but you know what I mean. Um, we, you know, someone who, who, who says, actually, no, this is how we want to pay for it. And she's going, but Lord, this is ridiculous. This is over the top. It's a breakout of his kingdom. It's a breakout of his kingdom. You hear stories of that with people saying, actually, we just don't know why, but God's provision in our lives is better than it's ever been when it should never happen. Thank you, Jesus, your kingdom breaking out amongst us in healing, in relationships, God doing it in the process. So let's trust God to see increased redemptive power happen in people's lives as they come to faith amongst us. People coming here, coming to know Jesus, being saved, transformed from the inside out spiritually. And then on top of that, let's just say, Lord Jesus, we wanna see your kingdom. Because when your kingdom comes, it's a demonstration to all around, as Ian shared earlier, that something not of this world is happening. 
Something different is happening, and it makes people in a world that's busy, in a world where everything is vying for our attention, and there's technology, and there's the pursuit of money and wealth and everything else, it makes people suddenly cast their eyes, almost have a burning bush experience like Moses did, and go, that just shouldn't really be happening. I think I need to ask a question. Sorry, but I, I, I thought that you had cancer. You don't have cancer anymore, but what happened? Well, well I got prayed for, and, and it's gone. No, no, that's a bit fishy, but what about the doctor's report? And, and, and the story goes on because God's kingdom breaks out and suddenly people ask questions and then people get to meet the ultimate redeemer. So we need the redeemer to come in greater power now and in 2019. We're never gonna see it completely. So it's gonna be a blend of, of we have hope for full redemption and it's not gonna happen fully on earth. It's not gonna happen fully because we live in a fallen world. We, we, we're gonna have disappointments. We're gonna have hurts. But God, we trusted you for healing. Why didn't it happen? We thought you were gonna break through in our business. Why did it shut? We're gonna have those pockets. But at the same time, we're gonna be seeing breakthrough because we live in the now and the not yet. God's kingdom is not of this world, but when we understand as Christ follows our place as sons and daughters in his kingdom, everything changes. Our perspective on life changes. Our perspective on the now and the not yet changes. And I so want us to live like that in the run-up to Christmas and 2019. Should we just stand as I pray? Thank you for today. Thank you for this time we've had together. And we ask for amazing coffee, amazing hangouts, uh, amazing few days run-up to the Christmas service. In your name we pray. Amen.